I uh, started a new series last week. I teach in series for those that maybe are not familiar with uh, Victory Church and the ministry that God gave me. I, I was a teacher before I was a pastor way back in the 80s. And, uh, you know, just I love to study. I've always read a lot. I love to study. And, um, and so that teaching thing just kind of just kind of moved in. So I teach in series. And um, uh, I do that on, on purpose. A pastor should always teach his people so they can grow spiritually. If you'll apply what you hear, how many know you can grow? The issue is if we don't apply what we hear and we just hear and just nod and then go and live the same, how many know you won't change? But if you put into practice what you hear, there's always change. So I started a series last week, How to Hear the Voice of God in the Details of Life. And uh, how many know if you ever needed to hear from God, it's today. And there's a lot of change going on in the world, uh, uh, a lot of challenges, um, a lot of what ifs, what's going to happen, what's going on. So, you know, the good, the good news is nothing takes God by surprise. He knows the end from the beginning. Is that good news? And since we're in sync and in tandem with him, he can clearly and easily, if we learn how, speak to us and we can navigate through life, not just hoofing it on our own, but learning to hear him, obey him, do what he says. And I found out when you obey God, how many know he blesses you? So Romans 8, 14, just to catch up real quickly from last week, mentioned two verses that have to do with guidance particularly, Romans 8, 14 through 16, for as many as are led, or it could be translated guided by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, and the inference, if you look at the original language, Greek, is the mature sons of God. As you grow, you learn to hear the voice of God, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage, Again, to fear. How many know God all the time says, fear not? All through the scriptures, fear not. Everybody say it. God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Fear is a spirit and you have to resist fear. When fear comes into my life, and there's a lot of fear today. There's a lot of fear, more than I've ever seen in all my life worldwide. You know, when it comes into your mind, you say, I resist that in Jesus' name. I say it out loud often to myself. I refuse fear. I refuse to be afraid. How many know it works? For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself, here it is again, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So uh, in another lesson in the future, we'll talk about Uh, The Holy Spirit bearing witness, the inward witness, and how you can receive guidance through the inward witness. There's a number of ways that God guides those that know him. And we'll get into the particulars. We're just laying a foundation right now. Then Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, the spirit of man, this is New King James, the spirit of man is the lamp. I think the old King James version says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Searching all the inner depths of his heart. When I think about a candle, when the power's out, you know, there's been a storm or whatever, and you light a candle safely, hopefully in your house, well, it's dark and that candle lights the room. And that's what he's saying. The spirit of man is the candle. The spirit of man is the lamp. The spirit of man is where God enlightens us. He guides us not from our heads, not from the physical He guides us where he is inside of us, and we'll cover this really well next week. He guides us from our spirit nature, and that's what that verse is bringing out. So, you know, uh, again, I mentioned last week, one of the great desires I've had since since I came to Jesus way back in 1976 was just really, really to know the voice of God. I would hear, again, I mentioned last week, my pastor said it, guest speakers, people, uh, actually the church I I uh, came to Jesus and had a Bible college in it. And people were always, always saying this phrase, and I was new to all this. Well, the Lord said. Well, the Lord spoke to me. Well, God said. And I just, man, I says, wait a minute. What, what, what's this voice sound like? And I just felt like, God, if I could just understand how to hear you, I could be successful in life. And I came to Jesus just before my 18th birthday. And, and it really has been a goal of mine to hear his voice. Last week, we also mentioned uh, Judges chapter 6, Gideon. God spoke to Gideon through an angel that appeared to him as he was hiding from the enemy army and said, you're going you're gonna to uh, help my people whip their enemy. And he just said, you got the wrong person. I'm the runt of my family. I'm the least in my father's house. Go get somebody else. And, it, and the angel said, no, no, you're the guy. I'm pretty sure God sent me to the right person. What's your address? Yep, right address. 
Yep, you're the one. And he said, well, God, you got to prove this to me because it just doesn't doesn't seem possible that somebody like me can do something for you. And you know what? You may have the same attitude that Gideon had. You may feel like you were the run of your family. You're the least in your household. You're the one who, who never could quite do it quite right, who always got the eye from your mama or from your daddy. You know, I don't care where, what your background is. God can use a humble person who will hear him and obey him. How many hear me? So God doesn't always look for the smartest, the brightest, the prettiest, the most handsome. He does look for the person who has a faithful heart. You saw that in Gideon. And uh, Gideon said, well, God, I mean, you know, you know, if you really call me, then you got to prove this to me. So I'm going to put this little piece of fleece on the ground. And, and if it's wet and the ground is dry you know, with dew, then I know you spoke to me. And then vice versa happened just the way he said, okay, God, if it's dry and the ground is wet, that fleece, I know you really, really spoke. And see, uh, we do that. People do that all the time. I have found, God, if you want me to do this, then you do that. That is putting out Old-time people call it putting out a fleece. That is, God, do something in the physical to direct my life. How many know God won't do that? Normally speaking, only if you're so, uh, let me find a South Carolina term. If you're so uh, uh, cotton-picking, spiritually ignorant. Did you get that? Will God use, does that make sense? Will, Will God use something natural to speak only somebody really, really dense spiritually. So that should really encourage you, right? So, uh, you know, I did that. And I mentioned an illustration last week that I did that. It cost me. And I learned a lesson as a young man. Don't put out a fleece. Don't look to something in the natural to, to, to be the voice of God for you. Learn to listen on the inside. Then also mentioned that, you know, listen, when you learn the voice of God, it sometimes seems unreasonable. It just doesn't make sense. And I mentioned, you know, God had me, I was pastoring in a city, and God had me buy a house 32 miles from where I pastored. It was a small community. You just don't do that in South Carolina in a small community. You might can get by with it in a big city, but not there. And I did it, and I couldn't figure out why. And you know what? That was a pivot point. I found out listening to what he was telling me made no sense to me, made no sense to anybody that knew us, made no sense to my church members. And I was saying, well, I'm just doing what God said. Go talk to him if you don't like it. I don't know what to say. i got to do it. But I wouldn't have been here had I not obeyed. So sometimes God will ask you to do something that at the beginning seems unreasonable and not right, but often it's the voice of God. How many hear me? So, wow. So I I left off last week and I gave you uh, two words and I want to just take a little bit of time. I need to slow her down. I think fast. Sometimes I speak fast. I'm purposely trying to slow down by the grace of God. There are two ways we receive guidance. I ended last week with this uh, general guidance. Everybody say general guidance and specific guidance. Everybody say specific guidance. Now, I've got two Greek words that that comes from, and I'm going to just really um, go into some detail on this, kind of show you how it works. You know, you've got the phrase, the Word of God. Well, uh, and I'm going to look at two scriptures here. One, one phrase where it says the Word of God, the, the word word is logos. Everybody say logos. L-O-G-O-S, Logos, and that's the Hebrew word, I mean, I'm not Hebrew, the Greek word for the sum total of all of the expressions of God, everything that God says, Logos. How many know Jesus is the Logos? He's the sum total of everything God could ever say to us. He manifested himself through his son. Is that right? But, but how many know this book is the Logos? This is the sum total of everything we know about God. Jesus is revealed in this book. Is that true? Everything you know about God is revealed in this book. This is the Logos. Everybody say Logos. Everybody say, I love the Logos. See, without the Logos, you can't get to the next Greek word, which has to do with specific guidance, and that's the word rhema. Everybody say rhema. Now, Kenneth Hagin in Tulsa didn't coin that term. It's a Greek term. He's got a, a Bible college called Rama Bible College. He started back in 19, I think, 73, perhaps, 74. That's the era of time. But that word Rama, and, and let's just go into this. The word Rama, let's talk about uh, uh, the, the word Rama is a specific. It's the word of God spoken to your heart. So let's go into this a little bit. Let's look at the first one. 
The word logos, Hebrews 4.12, here's where it is in Scripture. One of the places for the Word of God. The logos of God, you could say, is living and powerful. Did you hear what I just read? The Word is living. You know, you read Shakespeare, you read classic literature. I've read many of the classic books you have to read to get through school and such. And, and you know, they're, they're, they're really interesting, intriguing, and they're, you know, they increase your mental acumen perhaps, but, but they're not like this. When you read the Bible, something alive comes in you, and it won't leave you alone. It'll bother you. It'll, it'll wake you up at night. It'll challenge you when you're going through your day and you're saying this and doing that and, and you know, being aggravated about this. It'll talk. Because we mentioned a few weeks ago, the word has God's DNA in it. Is that true? For the word of God is living and powerful. Did you know? You wonder why. Did you know communist countries banned the Bible? Do you know the Bible was banned in Russia for generations? Do you know the Bible was banned in China? Why will they not let churches meet? Why won't they let Christians do their stuff? There's something about this book that changes the nature of a human being. And you can't hoodwink them anymore. You can't lie to them anymore because the spirit of truth gets inside. Is that good? This is a dangerous book. I just saw some people in Portland, Oregon, burning Bibles. Who do you think's behind that? D-E-V-I-L. The devil. Yeah, demon spirits are behind that. Why? Because the word will set you free. The word will show you that you can't be, can't be lied to. You can spot a thief. You can spot a liar. You can spot a counterfeit. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged, double-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. All that saying is the word of God gets down inside of a human in the way that nothing else can. No piece of literature you read, nothing that you read can affect you like this word or like this book. The word of God is a living thing. The words I speak unto you, John 6, 63, Jesus said, the words I speak unto you are spirit and life. And they've taken me as a backwards little boy who didn't know where I was going and didn't know who I was and made me into a man that God could do something with if I let him. How many hear me? And you know what? God will do the same thing for you. He can take your weakness and make it strength. He can take your sickness and turn it into health. He can take your poverty and turn it into prosperity. He can take your nothingness and turn it into somethingness. Woo. Wow. I just want to dance. It just gets me excited, y'all. So this word here is logos. Now that's a powerful thing, logos. Everybody say Logos. Say it again. I love the Logos. Some total of all the expressions of God. Colossians 3, 16, 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now there's the admonition to let that Logos live in you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace. In your hearts to the Lord. In James 1, 22 through 25, but just don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. What's that saying? It's possible to hear this logos, but set it aside and not let it into your lifestyle. Now, that's a problem today in the church, particularly in America. It's easy to come and have our ears tickled to hear a good message, but then it's a different thing to put shoe leather on what you hear and eke it out in the daily grind of life. That's, a different, that's different entirely. So he says, don't just listen to the word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. If you listen to the word, don't obey. It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you carefully look into the perfect law that sets you free, then if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, 
then God will bless you for doing it. That means your lifestyle will change. You'll, you'll come out of some challenges. Uh, you'll be releasing from some fears. Perhaps your body will be healed. Uh, your uh, darkness will turn to light. Your, uh, you know, your weakness will turn to strength, etc. So, so, so logos, that goes right along with general, the general guidance of God's word. The first guidance we should look for as believers is the general guidance of the word. If I walk in the logos... If I will walk or live perpetually every day, seeking God as I'm going through my day, making decisions on the job, you know, interacting with people, having conversations, and just doing whatever life brings my way that it normally does each day. If I'll do that with the Logos in the background, that is the background of my life is, you know, I'm out to obey God regardless if I'm, about, if I'm having a conversation, making a financial decision, or whether or not I'm having a, a, a deep a, a conversation with a, a friend or someone that I don't know. My goal in my heart is I want to obey the Logos. If you do that, you're a candidate for God to speak to you. Is that good news? So, so general guidance through the Logos would be, I'm trying to break it down as clearly as I can, treating others the way you wanted to, want to be treated. That's practicing the golden rule. Matthew 7, 12. Do to others what you want them to do to you. How many know if we did that now, we wouldn't have problems in our country? Yes or no? It's truth. Treating others the way you want to be treated. How about Ephesians 4, 29 as a young Christian? I mean, this, this verse, it nailed my hide to the wall. Be kind. Ephesians 4, 30. Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. How many know that's true? Uh, forgiveness, walking in forgiveness is walking in the logos of God's word. How about, how about uh, you know, um, Cameron just mentioned tithing. How many know if you're a tither, you're walking in the logos? Right? It's true. Uh, if you're a giver, you know, just the mindset of being a giver. I was, uh, you know, I think it was that... Um, uh, it's a few weeks ago now. Chick-fil-A, I forgot about it. I went to pay for my meal. Driving up, you know how efficient they are. And I went up and said, well, you know, and, and they said, well, your meal's, meal's been paid for. I forgot how that worked out because now they pay for it early. But anyway, they said, yours is paid for. You don't have to do anything. I said, you've got to be joking. I said, okay. Isn't that good news? No, it was Zaxby's. It wasn't at Chick-fil-A. Now I just remembered. It was Zaxby's. And the person in front of I like their salads, by the way. Don't get hungry yet. It's okay. Working hard. Whatever your hand finds to do. I got this Ecclesiastes 5, I think, when I was a young man. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Give it, give it your best shot. You know, what, do what you do as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that of the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord's Christ. Working hard. How many know that's obeying the Logos? How about being unselfish, not putting yourself first when you're conversing some, with someone and only talking about your accolades and your stuff and your things? How about when you're in conversation with someone or you're, or you're doing something with someone instead of putting your selfish thoughts attitudes, ways, desires for, ask them what they would like, what they want to do. How many know that's walking in the Logos? Putting God first is walking in the Logos, walking in the sum total of all that God is walking, putting God first, seek first the kingdom of God. How many know when you have small children and you tell them, uh, 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 won't be doing that today and you discipline them. How many know you're putting the Logos to work in your children's lives? Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. How about loving your spouse? Men are commanded to love their wives. They're commanded. Women are never commanded to love their husbands. They're to respect them. But I don't know a woman in the world, if that man will love her like God's called him to love her, that won't just say, you the best thing since sliced bread to me. Whatever that means. I don't know where that adage came from. Loving your spouse, you're walking in the Logos. Seeking to live a sexually pure life. How many know if you're doing that, you're walking in the Logos? But if you're walking in immorality and impurity, you're not walking with God. And you're not walking in the Logos. How many here? You're not, you're not hearing the word. Not a candidate for God to speak. Refusing to worry. How many know when worry, and it comes 100 times a day to most of us. You say, no, nope, no, nope, I think I'm going to cast that care on the Lord. I'm going to pray about that and not worry about it, right? 
So that's walking in the general guidance of God in his word. So if you're walking the general guidance, how many get what I'm saying? Then see, that makes us a candidate to walk in the specific guidance that the Holy Spirit has for us in the, in the minute affairs of life. See, the Bible doesn't give you a book, chapter, and verse for what house to buy, nor how much to pay for it, or who to marry. You know, some people wish it would, but it doesn't. Or how to spend your time or where to go to church or, or, you know, what kind of car to buy or et cetera, et cetera. The Bible doesn't give you those kinds of things. Does, the Bible doesn't tell you where to work. You've got to eat that out yourself. Those are specific things. Now, the cool thing about God is if you'll get in line with him and walk in the logos, the sum total of the word, you let the word work in you, it makes you a candidate for that second kind of guidance, which is specific guidance. And that's that Greek word, rhema. Everybody say, rhema. And that word, rhema, in fact, look at the scripture where it's, where it's mentioned, Ephesians six seventeen, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word, the rhema of God. And that sword, that word really refers to, you know, I've got a sword in my office that somebody gave me for my birthday a few years ago, and I like that. It's an old sword in the 1800s. But this little sword here is a little, and it's a long one, but this is a really short sword used for hand-to-hand combat and for personal battles. Very short so that the Roman soldier could get it and quickly, you know, make ends of his enemy. And so it's a very small sword for, for personal battles. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword, one translation said, the sword that the spirit wields, which is the word or rhema of God. And this word for word, this word rhema, uh, it's really talking about it's, it's really the word for speaking, the word for conversation. And the idea behind this word is this is a word that God gives specifically to you from his logos by the Holy Spirit. It's individual scripture, individual things that God quickens to you because you've been paying attention to the logos. He'll quicken a rhema, a specific word about what house to buy, which one not to buy, what community to live in, where to work, who to marry, what to do with your finances. He'll, he'll talk to you about the individual affairs if you just get involved with his plan. Isn't that good news? Now, it's obvious for with me speaking like this that there's a lot of people that, uh, that have denied themselves the benefits of the voice of God because they refuse to love his word. And if you'll fall in love with his word, God will fall in love with you. And when he falls in love with you, and when the Holy Spirit's pleased with you, he starts talking. And when he starts talking, I promise you want to listen. Here's some scriptures that have to do with the rhema, the word of God quickened or spoken personally to you by the Holy Spirit. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man, that word man is generic for men or women, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord and he delights in his way. Wouldn't you like for God to direct and order your steps? Your daily affairs, Psalm 32, 8. I will, in, and nine, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And I, when I saw that, I just saw a fork in the road. Many times in my life, God showed me a fork. I've got a decision. I can do this. Sometimes it's a three-pronged fork. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And I start heading. Often God won't speak to you if you're inert, if you're doing nothing, if you're sitting on your butt. But if you're moving and you say, God, I'm ready, I'm going, then as you go, God will speak. And I've had many times, I've, nope, 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 not that, nope, go, go, go that way, not that way. Nope, nope, nope. How many hear me? It's that rhema being spoken. I will instruct and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And it'd be good to know that God's got his eye on you. He's watching what you do. He's watching how you do it. And if you're about to get, go astray or go awry of what his best is for you, how many know that every day of your life's been mapped out by God before you were born? Isn't that a great thought? So there's a book in heaven, and it has in it all of the days of your life and what God's will is for you. What do you mean by that? That means what God's will is for you to do as far as occupation with the gifts and talents he placed innately in you when you were before you were born. It has to do with what kind of people you relate to, 
who you marry, what kind of job you have, how you spend your time, how you spend your finances, where you go to church, how God uses you in the body of Christ to bless others. How many know all of that is in the book that is in heaven with your name on it? Isn't it interesting that the angels know that book that has your name on it? How many know you have a guardian angel? Now, I got stories. I, could, I need to do a series on this. You just wouldn't believe. I got some uncanny things that happened to me because I know the angels of God are with me. And everybody, everybody's got at least one, and you might have more than that if you're busy. Did you hear me? And, uh, you know, they know they probably read that book. You ever thought about it? I bet you hadn't thought about that, have you? The angel that you can't see that's with you in your life that keeps you from car accidents and keeps you from just messing up so bad and gets you out of the muck and mire that you place yourself in sometimes. They know that book. Isn't that good? They know what you're supposed to do. They know the end of your life. They know what you're doing right now that's a detriment to you physically, mentally, relationally. Right? Now, this is going to sound strange to you. The angels of God strengthened Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They also strengthened him in the wilderness experience. Forty days he fasted. It's, the scripture says the angels came and strengthened him. It gives us very little information about how they do it. If the Holy Spirit speaks, do you think they couldn't interject thoughts into your head? They know. They know what's in that book probably. You hear me? You got any scripture against it? Huh? Everybody's quiet. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle else they come near you. Proverbs 16, 9. Uh, within your heart, you can make plans for your future, but the Lord chooses the steps you take. Isn't that good? The steps to take you there. John 16, 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come. I love this. He will guide you into all truth. Now, now what's the preface to he will guide you into all truth? Well, well he'll, 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 have you, he'll have you fall in love with the Logos. You get in the word. Make the word your desire. He'll guide you into all truth. And then it goes further. He'll not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. That verse right there has both the, the general guidance of the Logos and the specific guidance of the rhema right there. You see it? It's all tied up with the word and the Holy Spirit is tied to the word. It says he will not speak of his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said... I will take of mine and declare it to you. Let me give you a little story, illustration. Um, you know, I came to Jesus September 12th, 1976. And I mean, immediately, I was just such a mess. My mind was a mess. I've give, I told you the stories about that. So I just started, uh, I started reading the word out underlying passages of scripture. First thing God started dealing with me about was word. So I went through the whole book of Proverbs with a highlighter. And everything that said mouth, words, speech, talk, I underlined it in yellow. And then I go through the whole book of Proverbs, just turn the pages. Because we didn't have the internet and all that, all the convenience that we have now. I just turn and just read them out loud, read them out loud, read them out loud, read them out loud. I had a problem with my mouth. I had a potty mouth. And God had to change my nasty mouth. And uh, so anyway, from that, I just started getting in the word. And, and I really, I mean, I, I, I just had to read this word. If I'm taking a break at work, I'm reading my Bible. And I used to smoke a cigarette and cuss. I know you can't imagine that about me. And then, you know, listen to profane stories and such that the guys are talking about. That's what they do in break rooms, you know. But then I started reading my Bible and they started calling me, what you doing, man? You a preacher? Preacher Mitch? You a preacher Mitch, boy? You, you, you holy? Are you a holy man? I said, no, I'm just reading my Bible. So I read my Bible on break. I didn't care what anybody thought about me. At lunch, I took my Bible and I took my bag lunch, and I read my Bible during lunch. I had a break in the afternoon. I'd read my Bible. I'd get home, and I would spend, I still lived with my parents. I read the Bible from the time I got home. I read the Bible, and then I read books, teachers. Teachers are placed in the church. I'd read books by teachers that can teach the Word. And uh, so that was uh, that just the way I did it. So I've been doing that for five months. Now, this is February the 8th, 1977 was a Tuesday. 
That's the second Tuesday of February, 1977. I'm minding my own business. This is what I've been doing with my time. I'm working on the Logos, right? You see that? So, so I didn't, I had no clue what was about to happen next. So 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm working at a grocery store. We're putting stock on the shelf. You know, it's a pretty mundane job. But, but there's a gondola. At the very end of the gondola, there's a, there's a place that you put product. And it's product they want, they want to have quick sales on because they can make a profit on it. So I'm working on taking the profit, the, the product from the back room, and I'm putting it on the end of the gondola. And I'm just building it up. And while I'm there, I looked at my watch. It's 2 o'clock. And I heard for the first time in my life something that I did not, did not know its meaning. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And it was so strong, it startled me. I said, what in the world is that? I probably said at that time, what in the heck is that? What is that? And it said it again, vanity of vanities. What? And then all afternoon, I got off at 6 o'clock. All afternoon, all I could hear was vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And then it added an addendum to it, says the preacher. Okay, this is really strange. Okay, this is nuts. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All afternoon, February 8th, 1977. I got home living with my parents. Mom, you know, uh, she's a Bible thumper too. I said, Mama, you know, you, know um, you ever heard this vanity of vanities, all is vanity? And she said, oh yeah, that's the book of Ecclesiastes. I said, thank you. I ate my supper and then I went back to my bedroom, shut the door and I read all 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. And here's what I saw. All of the work under the sun, it says, it's vanity and it uses the term in the King James Bible, vexation of spirit. And then it uses that phrase, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And let me tell you something about God. God knows you. Listen, the voice of God is trained to you and how you think and your personality and your motivations. He knows all of that. And when he speaks, he can speak so succinctly that you can't miss it if you listen. Because he knows you. And what he says to you, he might not say to me. And what he says to me won't be the way he says it to you. He knows Southern lingo. And he also knows Elizabethan English from the 1611 King James Version, right? Yeah. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. So, so during that time, here's me. I'm thinking, I'm thinking here's, 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 my, here's, here's my, the basis of my life. I graduated early. God gave me a mind. I used it. I got out of school when I was 16, graduated high school. I went to college. I was going to be an electronics engineer. And here I go. I wanted to make, my goal in life was to make plenty of money. Because I know what it feels like not to have any. Because that's the way it was for me. And uh, anyway, I said, well, I'm going to make money and have a, have a nice home. And, you know, be able to clothe and feed my kids well and treat my wife nice. So I'm going to make money. I'm going to be a money maker. Well, see, God knew I was thinking that, so he said, vanity of vanities. He hit that right in the head. Mitch, I've not called you just to make money. And then he called me right when he said that. He said, I want you to work for me. I thought, well, I don't want to be poor. (laughs) But I found Isaiah 119, if you be willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord spoke in it. God used that Old Testament reference speaking to Israel, speak to me. If I'll obey God with my life, I won't be cursed, I'll be blessed. And he just let me know on the inside, hey, I'm calling you right now. And if you'll do it, the end of your life will go well. No, I'm not a young man anymore. And God's done exactly what he said. God honors his word, y'all. You can never be blessed running from God. I need to say that again. There's someone in the room or watching. You can't be blessed running away from the Lord. You can't be blessed doing your own thing. It will never work out. It will bite you. It'll hurt you. You think it'll help you now? It'll hurt you. My friends that I was friends with all my life, most of them are dead some with suicide, some with drug addictions, some with problems that arose from 
racking their body with drugs for too many years, and I'm still here. By the grace, I'm not bragging, it's just the grace of God. I'd have been dead a long time ago. How many hear me? So he spoke to me. So I, I, I quit school, enrolled in Bible school the next fall. Went to college. I was going to Bible school at night. That's where I met Susan. And we went to Bible school together at night some. And I met her. I thought, that's a beautiful woman right there. I'd like to meet her. So we got to talking and such. And we both enrolled in Bible school eventually. She did eventually. So anyway, uh, how many know because I was in the Logos, I heard the rhema. You get it? So Susan and I, you know, again, thing, good things happened to me in September. I came to Jesus in September of a year of 1976. I married Susan September of 1979. September's a good month. Good things happen in September. So, you know, we'd been married for five months. I'm, uh, I got home from work. I'm sitting on the edge of my bed. Susan's cooking the evening meal. We both got home from work. And we lived at 305B Grace Drive. That was a terrible apartment, wasn't it? But it was good for us. Anyway, I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, and here's what I hear. Go to Ramah. I said, what? Who said that? It's t- you need to go to Ramah. And I'd already been to one Bible school, and then I'd just gotten married to Susan five months earlier. Go to Ramah. I said, that's interesting. That's in Tulsa. I've never moved away from South Carolina. I- I'm just a, you know, I'm a homeboy. I'm just a homeboy. I've never been out there. Go to Ramah. Well, you know, I... I said, Susan, God's been speaking to me. I don't know when I said this to her. I don't know if it might have been that night. I went in there. She's cooking. said, well, you know, God's speaking to me to go to school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Kenneth Hagin School. Uh, I, I got picked up some of his books in a bookstore and was reading them. Then found out he had a Bible school. That was the foundation for God to say that to me. I thought, mm, that's interesting. So we're sitting having our meal. And then Susan says, you know, the Lord's been speaking the same thing to me. That's good. I said, really? Well, guess what? I didn't sit on that. Man, I went and got a bank account in Tulsa. We started researching apartments and all that. And we moved there in June of 1980. Isn't God good? How did I do that? That's, that's Rama, the, the Spirit of God speaking specifically to you because you're obeying the Logos. How many hear me? Again, you can't. And then after that, listen to that. So God spoke to me. I was going, Susan and I were going to a particular church. Listen to this. We're going to a particular church. The associate pastor came up to me out of the blue one time. And I don't know if I'd said something to him about going to Bible school in another state, but he came up to me. And this man, uh, his father, anybody, uh, is it John Dillinger? One of, one of the bad boys. His father was actually the, is the FBI, I think the FBI agent that killed John Dillinger. And he was his son. And he was in our church. Everybody knew him, you know. His, dog, his dad's the big dog, you know, well known. And so he came up to me, real skinny man, and he said, I believe the Lord's got a word for you. Like a dog. What is it? Or really a, a horse. If you can't hear me, I've got my, my hands up. My, my fingers are denoting a... Y'all know what a horse does, right? Or notating a horse's ears. Yes, I'm listening. And he said, I believe God's will is that you... You remember this? Were you with me when he did it? He said, I believe that God's will is that you stay here in Florence, my hometown, in this church, and let me train you, us train you in ministry. That's not what I heard. I just looked at him, and you know how many know you got to be respect, you should be respectful of people, even if you don't like what they said or agree. I just said, thank you. Thank you. That's all I said, thank you. Thank you. And I didn't say anything else because I didn't know what to say because God hadn't spoke that to me. I went away from there saying, God, you hadn't said a word to me about staying in Florence. And I just kept getting that rain of things. So I, I never listened to him. How many know people can have all kinds of words, but you need to have a word inside? That's how, don't, don't let somebody else with a, who's a prophet or has a prophecy or has a word from the Lord for you. You should only listen to, I wouldn't listen to it hardly at all. Only if it agrees with what you've already heard from the Lord. That would be a confirmation. Otherwise, I have an invisible shelf. And y'all, it's full of stuff from all the years. I've had people say all kinds of things to me, and most of them never happen. I've learned if God's going to lead me, I can't, he can't lead me 
telling somebody else what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to get it for myself. Number two, you cannot hear the voice of God if you neglect the word. How many get it? Proverbs 4. In fact, uh, uh, Proverbs 4, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to the whole body. Guard your heart. The context is guard your heart with the word above all else, for it determines the course of your life. E.W. Kenyon, our attitude towards the word determines the place that God holds in our daily life. So how many know, uh, ask yourself this question. Am I a doer of this book? Do I do what the Bible says in my daily life? So if you know God tells you to love your enemy and somebody says something that makes you want to slap their jaws, do you love them instead and say, well, God bless you? Or, you, or do you just one up and say, well, you know what? Blah, 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 blah. And then they just up again. Well, blah, 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 blah. And you just keep going. Or do you just, well, God bless you. Okay. Or if you know that you're not supposed to gossip and you got somebody that's, that's got those kind of, that kind of potty mouth. And they say things about others in their absence they should never say. And that's everywhere now. Have you noticed? Demon spirits propagate gossip. If you listen to it, you're part of it. So do you listen to it? Or when they start, you say, well, you know, they're not here. I don't know about that. And you don't need to talk to me about that right now. If you don't, you're not doing the word. How many get it? Huh? Or somebody injures you, hurts you, says something that shouldn't, maybe at the job. Maybe they take advantage of you and use you as a climbing stair to get to where they need to be. Do you choose to defy your feelings and do something kind for them? Buy them lunch or say something kind to them. See, that's walking in the general guidance of the word, right? If you walk in the general guidance of the logos of the word, those practical things, that's what I'm talking about, then you're a candidate for God to give you a specific word. Now listen to this. I'll tell you one more story. I'm done. So um, this is 1992. I um, make a longer story shorter. I became associate pastor of a church in my hometown. I'd been in a traveling ministry for two years. I started a church, and by the Holy Spirit, God had me turn it over to a man. I thought I'd be there lifelong. I wasn't. It upset me. That's a whole other story. I'll tell it maybe later. I traveled in ministry from church to church for two years. Then this pastor in my hometown asked me to be his associate at least six times. He took me to Shoney's restaurant, which at that time in the early 90s had a big breakfast in my hometown. And I said, well, I'd like a free meal. Let's go. Well, he took me six times, and every time at the end of the breakfast said, I want you to be my associate pastor. And I said, uh, five times I said, I'm not interested. Sixth time, God finally spoke to me and said, I want you to do it. And I said, I don't want to do it. He said, do it. So he took me out again. I had my eggs and my sausage and my toast and my pancakes, and my belly was full. And he said, I I want you to be my associate pastor. I said, I'll do it. And I thought he was going to fall out on the floor. Because five times before, I said no. And uh, so God spoke to him, so I became his associate. So while I'm there, I'm thinking, round peg, square hole, round peg, square hole. He's this way, I'm this way. He has this personality, I've got this. This just ain't working. I mean, I don't even like the way he preaches. I don't like the way he does stuff. And I'm his associate. Now, I never told anybody. I didn't even tell Susan that. I'm just making all kinds of, and God just used him to hone mess out of me. Huh? I don't know how many times I'm sitting in his church and I hear, who are you that you judge another man's servant? To me, he stands or falls. I got you, sir. Thank you. God said that to me. So he honed things out of me and showed me God can use people that don't do life like I do. Is that good? My way is not the only right way. It's mostly the only right. I'm just joking. <laughs> so here I am, July of 1992. I've been his associate for five months or so. And I'm not joking. I'm sitting in the congregation. And, you know, you just have mental images of things. I keep seeing myself in his pulpit. I mean, over and over again, week after week, I'm thinking, And here's what I say, God, I must be full of pride. Look at me. 
I see myself pastoring this man's church for him. This is just the weirdest thing. Forgive me, Lord. I'm just full of pride. Forgive me. I guess I think he's doing such a lousy job. I could do it so much better. I'm just thinking, you know. And, you know, God dealt with And you know what? He took me out September of 1992 to a, 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 a Mexican restaurant. I had my tacos and enchilada, Mexican rice and black beans. And then he sat back in his chair. He had been to Latvia for a 10-week stint, you know, missions. And his wife had come to me and said, something's wrong with Carl. He's not normal. I said, well, I knew that. No, she said, no. She said, no, he's not acting like he normally does, and he's not over it. And I said, oh, he's been on a mission trip. They affect everybody that way. He'll get over it. And she come to me and said, he ain't over it. I said, oh. So, so he sat when I finished my Mexican meal, he said, I want you to be associate pastor of my church. I mean, not, I want you to pastor my, I was already associate. I misspoke. He said, I want you to pastor my church. I'm going overseas for a year. And I'm going I'm to start a church in Latvia. Never had a church like this there. I'm going to take my whole family. And I want you to pastor my church for me. Well, guess what? When he said that, all those times I'm sitting in church and, and I see myself, I said, okay, the Holy Spirit's been speaking the whole time I didn't know it. How many know if you'll honor the word, God will honor you and speak to you? So, so I'm almost done. Everybody good? That's awesome. Say that again, yeah? Thank you. So he leaves January of 93. I pastor his church. I'm just going to leave everybody, everything the same. God gave me a verse. Listen, God gave me a scripture. I was reading my Bible one morning. I want to show you that God will get involved with your life if you get involved with his word. And you'll be reading the word and he'll quicken things to you. And it'll become, man, you just want to kiss us like, I can't live without this. I'm reading my Bible one morning. And he's gone and I'm pastoring his church. And here's what I read. Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And then verse 11, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit you to trust the true riches? And then verse 12 got me. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? When I pastored his church for him, he said, I'm going to be gone for one year. I'll be back January 1994. I said, yes, sir. That whole year was a test year for me. I had to learn to yield to another man, his ways, his will, his desires. I never, people would come say, you preach better. I said, shut up. No, I don't. I wouldn't sell, at the time, cassette tapes. I honored him. I let his congregation listen to him. Uh, taped conversations of phone conversations all the way on the other side of the globe. I love the man. He came back. We gave his church back to him. Better. I got all kinds of stories. Maybe I'll tell him one day. Better, richer. So when he got back, I knew he was coming back. And I was thinking in my mind, God, what you got for me? I mean, what about me? Little old me. You know, what about me? He's coming back. I'm going to give his church back. He's the pastor. I'm associate. I never built myself up. I built him up. Got it? See, if God gave me the Logos, you get it? I was just reading the Word, and there's the Word. I said, okay. Well, he gave me a rhema. Second Tuesday of November, 1993. Pastor's coming back in two months. I'm giving his church back to him, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What you got for me? Am I always going to be helping another man? What you got for me? And see, God knows what you're thinking, y'all. So I have a habit. Pray. Everybody okay? I don't mean to go so long. There's time. That clock's got to be wrong. I'm about done. So, uh, you know, I have a habit of praying in the Spirit every morning. And I was on my knees in my little place of prayer. I was praying in the Spirit. And while I'm, while I'm praying in the Spirit, I got through. And usually when I get through, I just sit there a little bit. And I heard three words. It's rhema, not logos. Rhema. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. Already existing church. Huh? Already existing church. You know, he knew my thoughts. Somewhere in the world, there's a church. See, I'd started, I'd been on staff at churches. 
I'd started a church, but I'd never came and, and, and actually pastored a church that was already in existence. And he gave me a word that fit me and my circumstance. Already, their next assignment is an already existing church. I sat on that for six months. And before I came here, the very day the pastor of this church left, May 16th, 1994 I spoke to that pastor I'm talking about and that's that day nine o'clock in the morning he said uh, he said well Mitch you can stay here lifelong if you want to you're doing such a good job my associate I said thank you Carl but God's spoken to me I hadn't told him before already existing church or some church somewhere that's my that very day I found out months later the pastor here left so when this church came up and I tried out I became pastor that's 26 years ago there's no devil in hell that could ever convince me that I'm not in the will of God. And you know what you'll find out for you? If you'll get in the general guidance of the Logos and you let it be absorbed in the way you think, in the fabric of your conversation, in how you relate to others and how you do your job and how you relate to your family and your children. If you'll let the Logos, the general word of God get you, God will speak to you. He'll treat you like the apple of his eye. And he will love you. And there's no devil in hell that can stand against the anointing that God places on you. When you choose to obey him, he will give you a rhema, a specific word for your life. Is that good? Now, you're not called to ministry perhaps like I am. But you're called to walk with God. And you're called to let your light shine. And you're called to be salt. You're called to be light. And if we ever need Christians to wake up, it is today. God needs you today. Walk in the Logos. God will give you a rainbow.